Amen. God bless you. We are so delighted that you are with us this morning. Uh, Bishop Myers is uh, down with his back and uh, will not be able to teach this morning, but he still is coming to church. He's an amazing person. He said, I just didn't want to stay home. So he's got a walker, but he's still coming to church. He's going to be here in our main service. But um, we are so excited to have with us uh, missionary evangelist Monty Showalter and uh, his wife, Sister Diane Showalter. These are longtime friends of ours, been a missionary for over 30 years, and for the last 20 years has been doing a lot of training and being a missionary evangelist in a lot of different countries, uh, preaching crusades, teaching and training. He's over the uh, campus ministry overseas, and he has got a red-hot Bible study that he is going to be sharing with you this morning, and we are so delighted that he is with us. Amen. Would you make... Uh, Brother Monty Showalter, Phil, welcome to our adult Sunday school class. God bless you, Brother Showalter. We're so glad you're here. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Myers. What a joy it is to be in Palm Bay today. It's been a little while since we've been here. We remain in contact with your leadership all the time. We love these folks. You are blessed. Are blessed and I know that my number nines are not going to fill the big shoes of Bishop you just have to bear with me we have a great great team in this family and these men of God that the Lord has placed here amen but if we turn in the word of the Lord today we're just gonna kind of go through something that Lord really laid on my heart uh, this week, and I thought, well, now, how's this going to fit in? It's not something we would normally preach, but here we are, and uh, I pray that it speaks to somebody's heart. We're going to talk about the, uh, the divine appointments of the Lord, and uh, if you, you want to look with me, uh, into the uh, scripture, I think we we may just start. We may just start with with uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. We are in the end time, folks. How many believe that? Now, the end time. It's like a cycle. It's like a. The Bible talks about the restoration. In Acts chapter 3, 19, Peter talks about that in the end, right before the coming of the Lord, that there would be a restoration of all things. Well, really, the end time will be a picture of the early church. And so how it started is how we're going to end. And we are in a blaze of revival. But there were certain issues that arose in that early church and some things they had to deal with right on. We always kind of think that the early church was perfect and they didn't have problems. They had some problems. And, uh, and so some of the issues, the same issues that, that arose among them are resurfacing in this end time. And, uh, of course, if any of you have walked with the Lord for a while, you know the devil has no new bag of tricks. It's the same old, same old. And he just, he just, he may rename it or maybe paint it up a little different, but it's always the same old thing. He's just a liar and the father of all lies. So uh, one of the issues 
in the early church was, uh, was the law. They didn't know how to e equate the law, the Old Testament, with what God was doing under this new covenant that was prophesied and uh, talked about. But let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 17 and 18. He just says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And so... Uh, Two words that we focus on, fulfill and fulfilled, in, in verse 17 and also in verse 18. These words are actually from different words that Jesus used. And uh, in the Greek, in, chapter, in verse 17, he said that, uh, that through the law, the law, he didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. The Greek word plerod, which means to complete it. To bring it to completion. And then in verse 18, he says uh, that till all be fulfilled. And here is the word uh, genomai, which it means to become or to happen. And so he came to make the law happen and to become what it was fully intended to be. And, uh, and to fulfill it. To make it complete. What does that mean to us? Well, if we, we jump over to chapter 11 in Matthew, Jesus talking a little bit more about this, uh, particularly about John's ministry and what he had come to do. And he said, uh, verse 11 of chapter 11 of Matthew, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So among the prophets, he was considered the greatest. And uh, partly because he was able to see the Lord and understand who Messiah was. And, uh, and he was anointed for that purpose. But in the kingdom, those that are born of water and spirit that enter the kingdom the least in the kingdom is greater than John why because we have a greater anointing it's a river anointing it's not an old testament anointing of the spirit coming and going but it's a it's not an, just an endowment it's a river that flows from our innermost being we are born again then he says in verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And then verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So the law was prophetic. It served a purpose. The whole law is prophetic. And uh, it served a purpose. Jesus said he came to fulfill it. He was the fulfillment of the law. He was the completion of the law. He was what was prophesied about, and the whole law pointed to him. 
And so uh, if you miss him, you miss the whole point. So what's happening is, is you find two extremes right now in, in, in Christianity arising. You have this extreme that says throughout the Old Testament, we don't need the Old Testament, we can exist on the new, we don't need the, the old is passed away, and we don't need the, need the Old Testament any longer. And I want to say, wait a minute, this is one book called the Bible, and it's a complete book, all 66 books. And, and you actually must understand that the New Testament is simply a commentary on the old, showing the spiritual fulfillment of the law that Jesus Christ came to bring about. And so if you don't understand what, it, what it's pointing to or talking about, you're missing most of what it's the subject. You're just missing the point. So don't throw out the Old Testament. You understand God. You learn about God. It's not a different God in the New Testament. It's the same God. He had mercy in the New Testament. He had mercy in the Old Testament. And uh, he was a God of love in the Old Testament. You will not understand God's character unless you read the Old Testament. And uh, it will reveal him to you. But then on the other extreme, you have people that are going back to the law and reviving the law and thinking that we need to live under that Old Testament law. And, uh, and they use all kinds of excuses I won't go into. But, but they're mi they too are missing what the law was about. The law was prophecy. It was pointing to something spiritual. And to go back to the law is to go back to the works of the flesh and not the spiritual nature of the new covenant. The law was carnal, but it was an allegory. It was a shadow and a type pointing to us. As Paul said, it was our schoolmaster or our tutor to teach us about Jesus. And so Jesus came to bring the spiritual fulfillment of what the law was trying to describe through carnal means. And, uh, and so why leave the spiritual and go back to the carnal? That'd be like taking Jesus' parables and trying to act them out and think that's Christianity when the parable has a spiritual implication. The law is a parable. So uh, let's, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Well, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, we'll just start right in the beginning. How about Genesis chapter 1? It's God's creative act, beautiful truths that are, are in this chapter. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The fool has said, in his heart there is no God. I mean, just look around. Wow. But let's just quickly go to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, seasons, for days and years. And so God gave us the stars, the sun and the moon for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. Now when we say seasons, 
you don't struggle with four seasons in Florida, but uh, some of you came from places. I see some, is that a Wisconsinite back there? <laughs> Did some of you struggle with four seasons? In fact, when I was living and pastoring in Wisconsin, they always bragged about their four seasons, and I finally, after six years, learned what they were. You had early winter, you had midwinter, you had late winter, and then you had next winter. <laughs> but when we read the word seasons, we think of the seasons, you know, the four seasons. But actually this word in the Hebrew, the word moed, is, is used in other places in the book. And, and the place we'll go is Leviticus chapter 23. Right into the law. Leviticus chapter 23. Now, if any of you have studied <clears throat> much about the feasts of the Lord, this chapter is very significant. Jesus, or God gives through the law to Moses the seven annual feasts that comprise the Jewish calendar. And uh, their, their, their activity, their spiritual activity throughout the year. And uh, seven feasts, and they're described here in chapter 23 of Leviticus. But uh, if we look into this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, say to them the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Holy convocations. These are my feasts. And here the word feast is translated from the same Hebrew word that we find for seasons in Genesis 1.14. It's the word moed, which literally means divine appointments. These are my appointments, God said. And so he made appointments. Now they were appointments that the children of Israel, the men were supposed to appear before the tabernacle and then, then uh, at the temple in Jerusalem for each one of those primarily three feasts and the others focused around those, those three and, uh, which was Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles and, and they were supposed to appear before the Lord. Why? Because it was God's divine appointment and uh, there uh, they were to be active in what God was doing. But when God established this annual calendar, he was mapping out history for us. Now remember, the law is prophetic. And so he was mapping out history. And, uh, and each one of these feasts have great significance. It has, they are commemorating a past experience in the history of Israel as a nation, particularly their birth as a nation, the Passover the leaving of Egypt and what they went through, the giving of the law as, as becoming a nation. And then, of course, things that uh, were remaining to them in the future, which the last feast, Tabernacles, was not even supposed to be celebrated until they got into the promised land. And so it was on hold for those 40 years after God explained to them uh, what was going to happen. And so... It's prophetic. Remember this. It's prophetic. So let's look at the seven feasts. If you want to get that PowerPoint up, let's just look at them uh, in a simple way that will help you remember. Um, 
the seven feasts of the Lord, Passover, and connected with it, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the First Fruits, which starts three days after Passover, and then Pentecost, which is means 50 in the Greek, it's Shabbat in, in uh, Hebrew, which has to do with Feast of Weeks, because they count seven weeks in one day, and on, which is the 50th day, and is Pentecost. All those four feasts are done in the springtime. It starts in the first month of, the, of their annual calendar, which is Nisan, springtime. Now that's just amazing to me. Now when, now they, have, they actually have two calendars. They have a civil calendar, which their, their <clears throat> civil calendar gives the new year starting in the seventh month, which is at the Feast of Trumpets, but it's a civil New Year. And they picked that up in Babylon. But God gave them their New Year as the first month is Nisan. And, uh, and that month is in the springtime. Now, doesn't that just make logical sense to you that, you know, our New Year is in the dead of winter? And nothing's new. It's all dying and, and, and old. But God's new year is in the spring. That just makes logical sense to me. Because new year, well, what a better time to celebrate newness in the springtime. Amen. But those first four are in the, in the new year, starts in the month of Nisan. And then, of course, the last three trumpets are in the seventh month really in the fall of the year. That's around September, October. It falls into our calendar during those two months. And, and so it's at, at the closing time of, of what God is doing. They all deal with the agricultural year as well of Israel because they, these feasts are centered around their, their agriculture. They're planting, they're harvesting, and uh, their celebration for what God has given to them. So uh, let's go back to, to, the, to the one with the candlestick. There you go. It's a real simple way. Seven feasts. God gave them a, a, a menorah. Seven uh, candlesticks, we call it. And uh, this just, just helps you remember it and focus it. Now, Passover, the first one, is the 14th of Nisan. And uh, right in the middle of the month, and the, the Passover, under the full moon, they were to remember their coming out of Egypt, remembering the, the death angel passing, that holy night, a special night when God spared the lives of the firstborn because they had applied blood on the doorpost. And, uh, and then they start, uh, really the day following, the unleavened bread, although there's preparation going on for seven days for this before Passover, but unleavened bread, and they remember that they had no time to leaven their bread. They traveled quickly through the desert trying to get out of Egypt. And then the Feast of First Fruits, uh, it's a commemoration of the harvest that they received, but historically they remember in first fruits, which starts three days after Passover, they remember the crossing of the Red Sea. And, uh, 
it was actually in their in in timing it was probably three weeks after they left Egypt or left Goshen they let me say this they were still in Egypt until they got on the other side of the Red Sea that was still Egyptian territory it was still Satan's dominion and until they got on the other side they were they were out of Egypt they went into Arabia into the wilderness so they were still in that Sinai Peninsula which still belongs to Egypt and is Egyptian territory until they got on the other side of the of the water so people who just try to live in repentance they don't understand they're still under sins dominion that's why Paul gives us Romans 6 that you got to go through the water be buried with Christ and be set free from sins dominion in your life not just past but present and future thank God so what a what a powerful picture here that we we begin to see and uh, then Pentecost Pentecost commemorates historically for the Jews it commemorates their giving of the law at Sinai 50 days after they were standing at the base of that mountain fire came down on the mountain and God audibly spoke to them the law they were so fearful that they covered their ears and they say don't speak to us speak to Moses and he'll tell us but he audibly spoke to them the Ten Commandments and it was at the base of that mountain hearing God's voice seeing the fire the pillar of smoke and all that that what they consider is the birthday of the nation of Israel that that is their birthday historically the giving of the law the covenant that God made with the people and so uh, you know where I'm going what a powerful deal when God poured out the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost because it was now the birthday of the church and uh, God was fulfilling. We'll talk about that just a little. Let's mention the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is, uh, is, is great significance in all of that. And uh, it's their civil new year, but it's announcing a time period of, of retrospect, preparation for the Day of Atonement that is coming and the Yom Kippur. And just 10 days after, Trumpets. Trumpets is a feast of really one day, but it shows up two days on the calendar with, an, with also a, a, a preparation day or the eve of trumpets. Why is that? Well, that's rather interesting in itself. But then the final feast is tabernacles, which is remembering their wandering in the wilderness. They actually for seven days go out and beside the house and live in booths and eat their food out there some of the men and the boys sometimes sleep out there and they're 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 not to make it full covering just branches on top so they can look through and see the stars at night and they're to remember their wanderings in the wilderness and so I now the the amazing thing is that the significant events in Jesus life took place on these days that 
He was the fulfillment. He was to complete it. And so he, his, the events that in his significant events took place. Before Passover, the, actually the first commandment God gave to Moses for the children of Israel is found in, in Exodus chapter 12. And it's the commandment in preparation for Passover that on the 10th day of the month, they were to bring the lamb without blemish into their home, wash it up, live with that lamb for those four days in preparation for the sacrifice they were going to do on that day when they sacrificed that lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and roasted its meat, and ate the meal in preparation for their journey. On the tenth day, they were to bring that lamb into the, the home. You know what happened on the tenth day of Nisan in Jesus' life, in the Passion Week? That was Sunday, the first day of the week, and it was then that he did his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now they saw him as the king and the fulfillment of Zechariah. But John understood, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And in God's fulfillment, Jesus was coming into his house as the Lamb. Wow. And that Lamb was slain on the preparation day John tells us before Passover would begin at 6 p.m. that night the holy convocation of Passover and the and the Seder meal in the house Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. and he died at 3 p.m. to the shock of the Roman soldiers because people sometimes lived for days on those crosses and Jesus died within six hours and uh, gave up the ghost the scripture says now the amazing thing is what was going on during that during that very time period on that day the preparation of Passover the the high priest began the sacrificial lamb and the death for those lambs of people that had brought them from some far and some close. And that started at 9 a.m. in the morning and ended at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And the final lamb that was slain, the high priest would stand before that altar and he would extend his hands and he would say, it is finished. And as Jesus hung on the cross about to to give up his life, his hands extended, he cried his final words, it is finished. Oh, he is our Passover lamb, but he is also our high priest. Amen. Woo. And so what powerful fulfillment. And so it is that the Passover, he was our Passover. He was the bread, he was the, the lamb, he was everything there was in that, in that Savior. He was the fulfillment, the completion, to bring it about, to make it become what God intended it to be, the spiritual nature of the prophecy, the prophetic events of the law. 
Amen. Amen. So Jesus came to fulfill it. You don't have to go back to the law. Some people say, well, you know, you got to go keep the Sabbath. Now, wouldn't that be foolish? When Paul wrote in Hebrews and said in chapter 4 that, you know, though they were keeping the Sabbath, there still remained a rest to the people of God, that they, they missed it because of unbelief. What's the spiritual fulfillment of the Sabbath? Jesus said, all ye that are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. He is our Sabbath. He is the fulfillment. It's in the Holy Ghost when we enter in and when we're born again of water and spirit. When you get the Holy Ghost, you enter into the sabbatical rest. It's not a certain day. It's a walk every day in the rest of the Lord. That's why Isaiah penned in his prophecy concerning it. He said, he said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, yet they would not hear. He said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. Amen. The Holy Ghost is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So, why go back to the carnal thing? Paul was dealing with this in Galatians. If you want a whole book written on this subject, go to Galatians. He said, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you to go back to the, to the law, the carnal things? You began in the spirit. Why are you going to end in the flesh? Amen. So the spiritual fulfillment... Unleavened bread is significant of getting the leaven out. That's doctrines of men and sin. Cleaning your life up, it's repentance. The first fruits. Now Jesus, amazingly, came out of the tomb on the third day. When the priest, early in the morning, was taking the sheaves that were were brought in as the first fruits and as the sun came up they would wave those sheaves before the Lord in thanksgiving for the harvest that they were about to receive before they ever harvest any grain this would have been the barley harvest and they would gather in that sheep that was chosen they would bring it before the Lord and thank him for the harvest that they were about to take out of the field Jesus is our first fruits, the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen. And so, so here they were waving a sheaf, and Jesus was the sheaf that came out of the tomb early that morning. Praise God. And so he was our first fruits of the resurrection. That tells us there's a harvest yet to be performed, and I want to be part of that harvest. He gives us hope. So that's the first fruits. But it also commemorates and remembers historically the crossing of the Red Sea. And the crossing of the Red Sea, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come out of that water, rise to walk in newness of life. 
were harvested from the death and the tomb that he was in so that we might live free from sin. You know, the, the prophecy, the angel spoke to Joseph and Mary, you'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not in their sin, from their sin. The word from in Greek is the word ek, it means to be extracted out of. Thank God, through water baptism, we are extracted out of our past. The old man is buried. We rise to walk in newness of life. Thank God. Thank God. Some people think, oh, that's a work of the work and not of faith. Oh, wait a minute. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 that it was the, the operation of the faith of God was through the operation of the faith of God that that baptism works in our lives. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he's talking about faith and not works. And, and to demonstrate that faith, in verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were planted into Christ, put into Christ, through baptism, you put on Christ. Amen. And so he uses baptism as the display of faith at work. Oh, my. Don't you love this word? It's a complete word. And then we get to Pentecost. The giving of the law. Now, this answers a question that may be in your mind. It was in mine. Why in the world, on the day of Pentecost, when the, the Spirit of God was poured out. We might as well read it. We read it a lot. We are a Pentecostal church. And uh, when the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Let me just say the infilling, the speaking in tongues, not the infilling, it's the overflowing. They, be, they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them the utterance. And so... Uh, the, the question here is, why the cloven tongues of fire? Why did fire set on them? Now, I've been accused of having those, you know, and that's what happened back here. But that's not really the truth, as some of you well know. But the, the cloven tongues of why was it that on that particular day, that was the sign that was never seen after that? It only happened on Pentecost in the scripture. And uh, why was it? You've got to remember, in the Jews' mind, they were remembering the giving of the law on the mountain. And they were, they were thinking that fire descended on the mountain. God was displaying to those Jews that had gathered for the feast that he was fulfilling what he did at Sinai. 
that this was the fulfillment, that the fire descended, and now it didn't set on the mountain, it sat on each individual because the scripture Paul wrote that through the Holy Ghost, the law is written on our hearts. Not on tablets of stone any longer, but now on the fleshly tables of our hearts, the Holy Ghost writes his law. Praise God. Praise God. And they recognized the sign. And they saw that it was the spiritual fulfillment, God's hand, that was at work mightily that day. As now, not the nation of Israel as a, as, a, as a bloodline, but now the church as the blood of Jesus Christ gives birth to us. We are born again and the church was born on that day. Praise God. They recognized it. Peter wrote back about that. He said, the same spirit fell on the Gentiles that fell on us at the beginning. Wow. They recognized that. That was the beginning of the church. Thank God. Jesus is still building his church. Aren't you glad to be part of the church? Thank God. The law prophesied. It was our schoolmaster to teach us, to bring us to Christ, Galatians 3, 24 and 25 tells us. And after that, faith has come. We're no longer under a schoolmaster. We don't live under the law. We live in the fulfillment of the law. Thank God. And so, what a, what a powerful lesson. So, Pentecost. Now, notice in the menorah, that, that fourth candlestick, that center candlestick is the center of all of them. You can get that picture back up. It's the center of all of them. Actually, they pour the oil in there and that same oil fills the other stems that are hollow. They don't have to fill each one. That one fills the rest of them. They're all connected to that middle candlestick. Wow. Everything focuses to Pentecost. The three are looking one way to Pentecost. And the three on this side are looking back to Pentecost. Pentecost is the focus. It's the middle. It's, it's the filling, amen, that fills everything else. If you haven't experienced your Pentecost, it's time to get in God's plan and program for your life. Thank God. That's where the feeling comes from. That's where the oil comes from. That's where the light comes from. Everything we have focuses on Pentecost. It's not a denomination. It's not an organization. It is an experience with Almighty God. And it's for everyone, each one of you. Thank God. Then when we get to Feast of Trumpets, very unique here, there's a phrase that is used about this feast, and that is that no man knows the day or the hour. And the reason is because this feast starts at the first sliver of light of the new moon in that seventh month. And so the priest, and only the high priest can declare 
when it begins. He has to see it. So that's why they have an eve, preparation, and then they have day one and day two because they don't know for sure if they're going to see it on the night of day one. So in order, they don't know the day or the hour. They're not sure when. And they cannot start any of the celebration until they see the new moon. And so they say, no man knows the day or the hour. There are four major trumpets that are blown during this feast. The fourth one, it's a call to holy convocation. It's a call in preparation for the day of atonement. It's a call of repentance. But the final one is the call of the coming of Messiah. It's the long blast. It's called the last trumpet. And that's what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 15. When he said, he said, at the sound of the last trumpet, Jesus is going to, like lightning, he said, his coming to us would be like lightning that goes from the east to the west. Amen. Paul said that we're going to be caught up. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain. Paul expected it to happen during his lifetime. We which are alive and remain. In fact, every one of those men wrote of the imminent return. They were commanded to preach it. And they wrote that they thought it would be in their lifetime. I'm still preaching it. I believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. In fact, I think it should have already happened, but it hasn't. And that tells me there's one thing that we've got to do. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's only one biblical reason I can find why He hasn't returned, and that is we've still got work to do. We've still got souls that are coming in. We are going to be in the Middle East for the next two months. And we're going to be working with some of the refugees that are coming in to some of those countries out of the, the, the war-torn situation caused by ISIS. And they're coming with desperate hunger. They want out. They see the ills of their religion and God is displaying his glory to them they're seeing visions angelic appearances Jesus himself is appearing to them like he did amen to Paul on the road to Damascus and they're looking for truth they're desperately hungry and they are converting by the thousands folks right now there is a revival going on pray for light to fall. Amen. And so uh, we will be there the next we leave tomorrow. Pray for us. Amen. That God's hand will not just protect us. He, I know his, he promised our protection. I learned that in the war in El Salvador. I said, Lord, if this is all I got to go through to see revival that we're seeing, then just pour it on. And it you're going to protect me. I'm not going to allow fear to dominate me or stop me. 
because you're the one in control. And if you choose to not protect me, see you soon. Amen. Amen. But if you choose to protect me, I'm going to work with all of my might. Amen. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, don't you love him? Oh, I wouldn't want to live any other way, folks. And so, trumpets. Day of Atonement, that represents the, the again, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat and all that that carries the sin outside of the camp. And what a powerful uh, typology we find, but it also represents the atonement for Israel that will come at Armageddon. And then tabernacles, of course, represents the millennium, the future kingdom yet to come, remembering our wanderings in the wilderness on this side of the rapture. So the three last feasts in God's prophetic time clock are yet to come. The first four have been fulfilled, and we experience their fulfillment daily in our lives. Let me say this, if you plan on celebrating the last three, now I'm not going to be on earth waiting for Jesus to split the eastern sky. I'm going to be on one of those horses with him. I don't know where you plan on being, but I'm, he's coming back and I want to ride with him. Amen. When he binds the devil with his word and we help him cast him into that bottomless pit. Thank God. Thank God. So, if you want to be involved in the last three, you better celebrate the first four. You need to come to him as your sacrificial lamb. Apply his blood to your life. In, his, in the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. You've got to be buried with him. You've got to, to die with him in repentance. Get the leavening out of your life. And let him work his work in you. And then let him bury that in that sea. Amen. In baptism. And experience Pentecost. The filling of the oil. Thank God. Folks, if you want to celebrate the last three, you got to celebrate and experience the first four. Thank God. Thank God. And we, so what do we do? Do we go back and live under the law? God forbid. <laughs> we live in Christ in the freedom and the liberty of the new covenant that was sealed in his blood. Let's stand together. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is a simple object lesson that God gave us to understand his plan, to understand his his calendar and his divine appointments. And today, if you have never yet received your Pentecost, there's a divine appointment awaiting you. See, 
They had to leave Egypt. They had to walk out of Goshen. They had to leave some things behind. But they weren't finished till they got to that mountain and God did a great work in them. Oh, thank God. There's fire in the house. <laughs> God bless you.